What's up, IWU? The body of Christ has taught me so much over the years. In fact, this body has taught me so much. Um, it's crazy what happens um, when you go through a struggle or a trial. Like in class, I'll talk about this all the time, that information is amazing. It can be gleaned, and that's incredible. But understanding anything, that gateway is through suffering. And you've all suffered in your own ways. And the understanding that you've gleaned through suffering opens your your eyes to the needs and the hurts and the pains of others around you. And that's, that's like the heartbeat of fusion. It's, it's going back with all of our executive team leader like Sarah and Hannah and JC, and then the entire leadership team that's another 17 people and then another group of 300 of you that we need to make this thing happen. It's, it's the fact that you've suffered. I cannot find, it doesn't matter how many camps I speak at or conferences I speak at, I can't hardly find anybody who wants to go back and be a middle schooler again. All right? I, I, I can't find, I've not found one amazing young lady in my class that says, oh, I want to be back to a sophomore in high school again. Those were the great days. It's kind of like you get through those. You live through those and finally it's like you get past that. Actually, I think that college students are more like a sixth grader than they are a ninth grader. And what do I mean by that in high school? Like in sixth grade, it's like whatever's. You don't care what you wear. I'm going to wear plaids and stripes and what's anybody going to say? It's cool. And all of a sudden you get in that high school range and you're wearing about everything. You have to have the right color combination. You're all trying to look like a Monte. You know, you got the right chain. You know what I'm saying? Bro, because listen, you drip, man. Amante's, amen? You got drip. You know what I'm saying? You too, JC. That's a nice chain too, man. Look at my shoes. I, okay, anyway. But all of a sudden what happens is like you go through that season where you're so concerned, so concerned about everything. And all of a sudden you get out of that and then you come here after your first semester freshman year. It's like, I don't care if I wear stripes or plaid. Who cares? Let's go. Let's go to class. It's cool. You kind of like get back just to being like you a little bit. And so I've learned so much from the body. I remember, I remember how the church has loved me. I'll never forget after an amazing experience. Um, it was incredible. We had thousands of students and worship was incredible. It was in San Diego and we finished up and everybody left. And we went out to eat with my family and my brother and a couple other people that were there. They're part of the executive team. And we went down to the bay and, and hopped on a ferry between like downtown San Diego and Coronado Island. And uh, really cool night little cruise, about 15 minutes. On the way back, we we're getting back on that ferry. And uh, um, as we're getting on the boat, uh, it moved and, and the, the ramp, they didn't put up the, the rails. And my little daughter, Emily, was walking across. It moved. She fell into the bay, into the water, which is a little bit deeper than where I'm at, down to the floor even, and it you know, comes and goes. And that boat's coming back. And it seemed like all of time stopped. I mean, I, I, I'm, this is back when you actually use money. So I'm paying this guy. And, and people are standing around, and I hear screams. And I see the, the dock person standing there, jumped down, and, and I jumped down, and he grabbed her by the hair and pulled her out. 
um, she gets up there and we're messed up for a long time and uh, uh, surrounded by a bunch of people. And uh, Emily was fine. She was super cool. We get towels. We get, on, we get there. It's like, we're there for you. It's like, and I, I'm kind of rehearsing with Emily what she just experienced. And again, we had just been at this conference with all these students. But even more, in our youth ministry, people are so cool to hang out with our family. And Manet and Natalie and Brandon and all these different students would always babysit our kids. Like my kids learned how to skateboard with, with, with this like show called Rocket Power way back in the day. Does anybody even know what I'm talking about? You know, keeping it real. And it's like these, the, the body loved my family. And when she came out, everybody's flipped out except for her. And she said clearly, it's like, it's okay. The teenager girl told me it was okay. When Emily was small, she couldn't say her R's right. In fact, I remember they were like, hey, you need to take her to a speech specialist. It's like, no, I like it. <laughs> She's so cute. <laughs> it's like, no, leave her alone. And uh, the thing is, at that moment, it was just a bunch of adult leaders. There were no teenager girls. Nobody was around. And uh, that was a teenager girl. And so we're like, Emily, you know, daddy was there. I was super, you know, hero, wanted to help out. And she's like, no. It's like the teenager girl told me it was okay. It's like, what do you mean? It's like, I looked up and a teenager girl. And she's like rebuking me for not getting it. Um, see, the church is alive and well because Jesus Christ is real. All right, the church is alive and well and will move forward in spite of anything that resists it. Because I believe that Jesus died for our sins, rose again, walked on this planet Earth, and is in this very moment here with us right now. And crazy experiences that I've had that have affirmed that, like seeing that happen with my daughter. The relationships with you guys, you are brilliant. There's things I learn on a regular basis from you in class, in the mall way, at Macan. Like I was walking through Macan and Xavier is like, you know, you teach me so much. Can I give you credit? I was going to give a shout out to Mossy, but I didn't even know if he came to chapel today. So somebody get on him, Mossy, wherever you're at. But Xavier, you, you teach me. Like I was walking through the hallway and she goes, Charlie, can, you know, do you know this? And so she taught me like, boom, boom. <laughs> I know I'm going to take heat for that. How many memes or whatever, I'm going to get roasted. I know I'm going to get roasted, Okay. But it was that close. <laughs> you, you're a great teacher, right? Give it up for Xavier right now. I've learned from you. <laughs> Did I honor you? <laughs> so when I think about the church and I think about where we are, I have to go back and think, like, how did we get to this very spot? So in conversations, learning... We're getting ready to fusion meeting. We normally don't have those at 9.30 on Tuesday nights. And JC came a little bit early to my office. It's like, hey, look at what God is showing me. And so we started reading in Mark 9. 
And in Mark 9, there's this incredible, like, development where Jesus is doing crazy things and amazing things and teaching and the disciples are learning. And then there's a situation that's so similar to us. I mean, things are happening all around us. Jesus is doing things that are extraordinary. I've said this before in chapel when I've been here. The extraordinary things that we want from God, they begin with those everyday ordinary acts of obedience. Are we consistently seeking his face? Are we consistently trusting him with everything, regardless of what is out there? And in, you, you see this in Mark, you see it in Luke, you see it in several different contexts, but here's what happens. After Jesus does the miraculous and, and heals this demon-possessed boy and, and then he tells them about what's about to come because they don't get it. They don't understand that Jesus is about to do something that they can't comprehend. He's going to give his life for them. And they can't comprehend what it means for him. They don't want him to sacrifice his life in the manner that he did. They want him to take the stage, rule the world, and make them part of the movement. They don't want to go through the suffering. Jesus is trying to help them understand what is about to happen. And he's making it clear, what's going to happen to me is going to happen to you. Not really cool in most contexts. So we don't like that part of Jesus. I mean, we like the part of Jesus. I like the part of Jesus that makes my life easier. Not the part of Jesus that, like, that I'm afraid to walk that path because I don't know if I have what it takes. That doesn't really suit my desire. And then this happens. We see it in Mark. Here we are, chapter 9, verse 38. Teacher, John said, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and, and we told them to stop because he was not one of us. Here's what Jesus says. Do not stop them. For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. We see Matthew 12. It says something very similar but almost in reverse. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. Again, it's repeated in Luke, very similar to Mark. In fact, we see this. In Mark, um, we see a couple key elements. And the first one clearly is this. John has a problem. Why would John say stop them from doing the miraculous? Because actually a little bit earlier... He tried to cast out the demon and it didn't work. He failed and Jesus did. And now all of a sudden, here's John, one of Jesus' disciples, failing at something and somebody else does it. And of course he's a little bit flipped out or weirded out or a little jealous or whatever the case may be. And there's disunity within the body already. There's disunity based on things that are supposed to be really amazing and positive. How is it possible that people can be doing great things in the name of Jesus, but because they don't do it the exact same way I did it, then they're against us. Or somehow we're not a part of the body. Why is Satan introducing that into the body when great things are happening? Jesus is healing. Things are happening. People are coming to know him. Now, now think about John before we go off on him too much, because John is a really good bro. 
all right? In Greek, bro means brother and sister in the Lord. And so I just translated that really quick for you in a more common vernacular. All right, so basically as we get into it, John is really, really important. If you think about John, John is the person who began after Jesus is crucified, resurrected, ascends up into heaven. Years and years and years, John is the person who's developing and training people. He becomes central. In fact, John develops and disciples this guy named Polycarp. Polycarp goes on and does amazing things and disciples this guy named Ignatius. Ignatius is walking the path of Jesus. And they don't like him. They persecute him. And then they capture him on the way to Rome to kill him, to martyr him. And Ignatius sends a letter to his friends and say, hey, this is what's happening to me. And they get a letter back to him and say, we're going to rescue you. We're going to, we're going to intercept that, that caravan from where you are to where they're taking you and, and we'll save you. And he goes, no, this is Ignatius. Think about this. These are our early fathers, our early leaders. Why would you kill me? Why would you do that to me? How would you prevent me from knowing and living the life that my beloved Jesus lived? By taking me away. Allow me to live. Allow me to know Christ in his fullness. Allow me to go to my death so that I might see him. You see, like in the early context, the body is unified because they recognize that the end goal is to see Jesus. Is to know him, is, is to be with him. And we see constant, constant struggle within the context of the church because Satan knows that a house divided cannot stand. And so he seeks to divide us. I mean, it's really amazing to uh, be in an office over in Nagel and STM surrounded by amazing scholars. It's really cool to have good friends and churches all across the world that you can call and connect to. So I did that, thinking about today. And I asked several people, it's like, what do you think about this specifically? And here's a collection of thoughts, all right? The first one is this. In Christ he reveals to his disciples that there's no such thing as neutrality in reference to Jesus and his cause. You are either for him or you're not. We live in a culture that wants to neutralize Jesus. It's what they say. Here's another one. A biblical understanding of identity is this. This isn't a conversation with a guy who's preaching here just a month ago, Andrew Morell. I don't know if you guys remember when Pastor Andrew was speaking during Rev, Rev, Love, uh, Love Revolution on a Wednesday. Um, here's his thoughts. A biblical understanding of identity is this, that we submit to Jesus. He disrupts, disrupts our identity, transforms it, and then we reflect him. To say that we are the Imago Dei, that's the image of God, is what's biblical. But culture calls us to the Imago I the image of me. Therefore, the root of selfishness, this is another scholar, the root of selfishness attacks the character of Christ that's expressed 
in us and makes it about self. If I can reconcile, here's another one, calling people Christian, that person isn't serving others, how can I? I, I can't come to grips is what he says, what she says actually, to calling a person a Christian who doesn't serve. No team puts up with a player who refuses to contribute. No army puts up with a soldier who doesn't carry some weight. But yet, selfishness in the body is allowed to continue without calling it what it is. And it's sin. If scripture commands us to serve one another, how can we simply ignore it? The root of all selfishness, says another, the root of selfishness left unconfessed will result in the inability to hear truth, feel hope, understand redemption, and to know true forgiveness. We're at war, you and I, with an enemy that wants to rob us of our identity in Jesus Christ. And by doing that, cause disunity in this very room. Let's not talk about the church outside of this room. Let's just talk about us, the church in this room. Are we unified in Jesus Christ? Do you guys remember Summit with Pastor Matt Leroy? Amazing, incredible time. Matt stood right here and said this. I failed. Do you remember him saying this? I, I, I've made mistakes. I'm wrong. He said all of these things. And he clearly said this. Christianity was never intended to be about the Christian, but rather about Jesus. Because it is Jesus in his glory, in his love, in his grace, in his truth that we aspire to. There's a great book in my office by John and Lisa Bevere called The Bait of Satan. And what it says is this, that Satan's desire, his bait for you and me, is to somehow get us to not like each other and to be offended. If I can be offended with you, John, if I could be offended with you, Amante, if there could be some offense between us, then we're disunified. And then that's when we can't be working together and be together worshiping and celebrating like we are in a moment. So Satan's bait is to get us to be at odds with one another. Yet Jesus is calling us to be unified in his name. Because when we are unified in the name of Jesus, there he has a group of people. Then that will proclaim his name in unity. And show the world that yes, even in all of our awkwardness. And even if all of our issues are calculated together. And we see that we are not perfect. We then proclaim with this amazing loud voice, true but he is, and he's worth trusting. He's worth following. He's worth sacrificing for. It's Jesus that we follow. Don't follow me, follow him. I will do my best to follow him as well. And when I fail, I will say it. I will confess it. Selfishness says no. Don't own your failure. 
Don't own your offense. Don't own your issue. In fact, selfishness likes it. Selfishness loves the fact that you're at odds with somebody. It actually feeds that, that sin nature in us. Now we have something to hold on to, to grip to. Because for most people, to be fully vulnerable to Jesus leaves you exposed. And yet, if we understand him, he's on the other side of that vulnerability saying, now I'm going to do in you what I created you to do from the very beginning. You cannot be fully you until you're fully yielded to Jesus Christ. And so here we are. We put these cards out. And we've been praying about this. The band's going to hang out with me. We're going to do a song that I love called Yes and Amen. And what we're going to ask you to do is this. Could we be reconciled to each other? Or is this getting too personal? I mean, it's not a visit day chapel, right? So I, I can get really serious with you. We're, we don't need to do this because we're all good with each other. There's no division in the body here. Or we have to confess one another, like even last night in our fusion meeting, like here's where I'm failing. Here's where I've failed you. I, I'm sorry. I, even last night, asking God for forgiveness for, for wanting to make things happen in our own power and our own strength and not trusting that he actually is the one who can do it and we can't. Fusion can't exist without the power of Jesus Christ pulsing through us. So the, the prayer was this. What happens if we gave an opportunity for the student body to come and to commit to pray for somebody else around them? And maybe somebody that you're at odds with. Maybe somebody you don't like. Maybe somebody that's wronged you. Maybe somebody who's hurt you. Maybe that person isn't even in the room. And then what we could do is you put your name on the bottom, tear it off, leave it here, and then we will spend the next 25 days praying for you before fusion. You pray for each other. Maybe you can't bring yourself to talk to this person. But when you write this down and you pray for them for a month, God will soften both of your hearts. Because forgiveness can happen when even the person who is wronged goes to another person and say, I, I ask for your forgiveness for what I've done to hurt you. For the sake of Jesus becoming alive in them. You can't do that if you're selfish. It's impossible. But in Christ, we're selfless. So I ask you, even if you're way up in the balcony, this song is like four minutes long, would you be willing to pray for somebody on this campus? Even somebody you're at odds with, that God would reconcile us so that we can be a unified voice Thousands of people will sit here in the beginning of April wanting to know, is Jesus real? And we can say yes.
He's real to us. He'll be real to you. So the band's going to play. We're going to pray for our campus as the band plays. As they're playing, we actually put up a video of our campus just to pray for our campus as we're doing this. And you come as God leads you to.